This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Story time. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The sun dipped below the horizon as I drove into the reservation, the place I had called home for so many years. The elder of the tribe, a wise and respected man, had summoned me back, his voice filled with unease. He claimed to have seen a wendigo haunting the woods near our reservation, and even more troubling, a group of young kids from the tribe had gone missing. I, Kaya, a young Native American, had not been home in years, but the desperate call from the elder compelled me to return. As I arrived at the reservation, I could feel the heavy air of fear and uncertainty that hung over the community. I knew I had to help find the missing kids and confront the truth about the Wendigo. The next morning, I set out into the forest, my heart racing with a mixture of anticipation and dread. The woods had always been a place of solace and peace for me, but now they felt dark and foreboding. As I ventured deeper into the trees, I could feel the presence of something unnatural, something that did not belong. And then, as if summoned by my thoughts, the Wendigo appeared before me. It was a horrifying creature with a gaunt, skeletal body covered in tattered skin. Its eyes burned with a sinister hunger as it let out a blood-curdling scream. Paralyzed with terror, I barely managed to dodge its attack before it suddenly disappeared into the shadows of the forest. Shaking with fear, I tried to convince myself that the encounter had been a figment of my imagination, but the lingering sense of dread told me otherwise. 
I spent days searching the woods for the Wendigo and the missing kids, but I found no trace of either. The sense of helplessness was overwhelming. As the days turned into weeks, I knew I had to face the truth. The Wendigo was real, and it had taken the children. My tribe needed to know what was happening, and I needed to find a way to protect them. I returned to the reservation, my heart heavy with sorrow and determination. The tribe gathered around me as I shared my story, their eyes filled with a mixture of fear and hope. We knew that the battle against the Wendigo would be difficult, but we also knew that we would face it together. The bond between our people was strong, and we would not let this creature destroy our way of life. In the end, I chose to believe in my tribe, in the power of our traditions and our connection to the land. We would find a way to confront the Wendigo, to bring our children home and banish this evil from our woods. And as I stood among my people, I knew that we would find the strength to fight, to protect our home, and to preserve our legacy. Twenty twenty-five years ago, I spent a lot of time at a friend's house throughout the summer. As kids we naturally played outside often. His house was out of town, down a private road with 10 to 15 houses on it. Over a few years time, while playing outside, I would see a Native American, I paint, feathers, loincloth, the whole ball of wax. We would lock eyes then he would disappear. It happened several times, and when I would ask my twin brother or friend if they saw him, nothing, they never did. I let it go and just left it to my imagination. Fifteen years later, I now work for my father in his small business. I get a call to do an estimate for a neighbor that lived next to my friend's house. Friend had moved away and the house was under new owners. Looked over the house, pretty normal estimate. Started to partake in small talk with the elderly couple, and I explained to her we spent summer time next door as kids growing up. She asks me if I ever have seen the Indian man, my jaw dropped. Was she messing with me? Was someone playing a prank? She went on to explain that there had been a tribe that had lived along these river banks and that his spirit had stayed behind. I still don't know what to believe, but it was eye-opening. As an investigator of paranormal phenomena, I had always been interested in the legends and folklore of Native American tribes. So when I heard about strange occurrences happening in the Grand Teton National Park, I knew I had to investigate. On April 25th, I set out on a hike along a tributary of the park, about 2,200 feet above sea level. I was on the lookout for signs of skinwalker activity, a legend that has been passed down for generations by the Native American tribes in the area. As I made my way deeper into the woods, I noticed something strange. The tops of several fir trees had been twisted off and were hanging about eight and a half feet up. This was not something that could have been done by natural means, and it immediately caught my attention. I followed the trail further up, and to my surprise, I found even more trees with twisted tops. It was as if something had gone through the woods, systematically breaking the trees as it went. I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease as I continued my hike. It was as if something was watching me, following my every move. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, and it sent shivers down my spine. As I made my way back down the trail, I couldn't help but wonder what could have caused such a bizarre phenomenon. Was it the work of a skinwalker, as I had suspected? Or was it something else entirely, something far more sinister? I couldn't be sure, but one thing was certain, I would need to investigate further. The legends and folklore of the Native American tribes had always intrigued me, and now more than ever, I was determined to uncover the truth behind these strange occurrences. It was just a weekend camping trip with my buddy Mark. We were both avid fishermen, so we had set up camp near the river. Mark had caught a nice salmon earlier in the day, and we were planning on cooking it over the fire later that night. As the sun went down, we started to settle in for the night. Mark had fallen asleep pretty quickly, but I was still wide awake, listening to the sounds of the forest. 
That's when I heard something that made my heart skip a beat. It was a slow tapping sound, like rocks being knocked together. I sat up and listened, trying to figure out what it could be. It continued for a few minutes, and then suddenly stopped. I shrugged it off, thinking it was just some small animal scavenging for food. But then it happened again, about 15 minutes later. This time it was different though. The tapping was faster, and it came from a different direction. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was out there, watching us. I eventually fell asleep, but was awoken a few hours later by a strange noise. It was like a low growl mixed with heavy breathing. I sat up, my heart pounding in my chest, and looked out the window of the camper. That's when I saw it. Standing there in the light of the lantern was a Bigfoot. Its back was to me, and all I could see was its dark, oily shiny fur. I couldn't believe my eyes. I had heard stories of Bigfoot sightings, but never thought I would see one for myself. I woke Mark up, but by the time he had gotten out of the camper, the creature was gone. We spent the rest of the night listening to the sounds of the forest, but didn't hear or see anything else. The next day, we packed up our camp and headed back home. I couldn't stop thinking about what I had seen. I did some research and found out that there had been other Bigfoot sightings in the area. I even read about how some people believe that it was mating season for Bigfoot during that time of year. I don't know what I saw that night, but I know that it wasn't just my imagination. It's hard to deny the existence of Bigfoot when you've seen one with your own eyes. Back when I was a kid. My mother always spoke about her mom. Being a ranger. She would tell my mom how much she loved it. It inspired me to want to follow in her footsteps. With my grandparents dying and all. I watched my mother do her job and she loved that park with everything she had. She did it well. She claims the only downfall was all the odd stuff she had heard in the trees and that was apparently normal. As I grew up. I took over every day that I am on the job watching. I make sure that I always have my special soda with me. It always brings me comfort knowing I have my favorite drink. My friends always told me not to apply for the job. Since so many resign and so many are told to keep quiet about things they see. My friends told me that people who get an opportunity to become a ranger. You begin to see some strange things. Back in 2019. I got a call to do the night shift for a park. My husband told me not to go. We had already made plans to go off for Christmas. I said we can't go out to eat if I'm not working to put food on the table. Besides, they need extra rangers to patrol and I need to be there to help. We can celebrate when I get back. I went out the door, heading to the park. I was thinking on the way to the job, that if I get bit by something, Nobody is there to save me. At least I have my watch that the job gave me to communicate with others. The job is a blessing. Even if you are in trouble. You can always call somebody and they will help. Usually as I arrive to work. I see my best friend at work and did not know she was on the same shift. She had been doing a double. When I approached her. We spoke and she told me about the strange noises she heard right near a pond. All I wanted to do was go home and be with my husband. I really couldn't do anything but continue the job. She clocks back in for break and I'm just beginning my shift. It dawned on me that I forgot where my watch was. My friend told me to stay posted. And I agreed. We walked to my vehicle to get my soda. Anyway, I look over and I can't find my drink. I kept telling her the stage gets better. And better. The event has started and we're now patrolling the park. Making sure everything is running smoothly. She gets a call telling her she needs to split and go to the other side. Someone is requesting her. She told her boss copy that she would report back to him. Turns out the boss never told her to split. It was something interfering. I went to the other side of the park to check on her and I watched this creature jump down from the tree onto her back driving both of them into the pond. I ran, trying to rip her off but this thing was so strong it was not worth it. This creature went into the water so fast I didn't see it. 
It was a blessing that I've managed to survive. But my friend? Well, that's a different story. I immediately reached out to the dispatcher in the park. Nobody answered. I called again from the watch and got the boss. I told them I was worried and when it happened. He said they were going to send help. Right away they went in after her to try and locate her body. But there's no such luck finding anything. We had to shut down the park. We could not risk any of the public getting injured. We also informed the authorities and had them evacuate out of the park. Police said that it was something out of the ordinary that dragged her into the pond, as if that wasn't any more obvious. When we began to review the footage, we saw her, the noise that she had mentioned. My boss had simply come to the conclusion that she was going crazy and we know she'd been going through things. But this is definitely not crazy. We had to call our family and let them know what had happened. So my job asked me called me, while we were being so close. They did not take it well. So before I went home, I stopped by and let them know what happened. They were in disbelief. They could not believe it. I went home after, and before I could share with my husband what had happened, he saw the scratches on my arm and face from that thing. I broke down and told him that she's dead and everything had to be closed down. Facing her family was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. This is the only Christmas where I've had to work, and I hate it. I hate what I had to see. One evening during the summer of 2019 I went outside on my porch to smoke a cigarette. It was still light out. I live near Rochester, Minnesota. There is a small hill directly across the street from my house, and I noticed two kids, a young boy and a girl, walking up the hill. They stopped and looked back at me, but I got a bad feeling about them. They were wearing dark blue vinyl windbreakers with hoods and as I looked closer, I could see that their eyes were black. They started to walk down the hill and come across the street walking directly toward me. I was cordial and introduced myself to them. They continued to advance toward me. I was getting scared, so I quickly went back into the house. I asked my wife if she heard me talking to the kids. She heard nothing, so I just put it out of my mind. The evening was quiet and my wife and I went to bed around 11 PM. After several minutes of laying in bed, I started to feel strange. I looked towards the window, we have a one-floor ranch-style house and saw the girl standing outside his window. I freaked out and went to make sure the doors were bolted. When I got to the kitchen door, I could see the boy standing on the back porch. I ran back to the bedroom and grabbed my 45-point automatic. I just assumed that they were attempting to break in. By that time I was extremely scared. I went to pick up the telephone to call 911, but the next thing I remember was waking up in bed the next morning. It was just after 6 a.m. My wife was awake and looked at me. Where did you go last night? I told her I didn't go anywhere. She said that she heard the back door close around midnight and that she went to see what was going on. She said that she couldn't find me. I told her what had happened and she thought that I hiding something from her. I still don't know what happened. I've read about lost time and alien abduction. But I always believed it was bunk. I still don't really believe it. Were these black-eyed kids aliens? By the way, I no longer smoke. I just don't have the urge anymore. Why? I have no idea, but I had smoked for almost 30 years. I've been a police officer now for 30 years. It has its times of being a challenging job, but as any other, you'd expect it to be hard but it's always something I feel I can handle. Only one time did I ever think about quitting, and that's when something impossible had happened to me. My mind and my common sense have always kept me sane even through any possible situation in life. I'm a reasonable individual. I never believed in ghosts or the supernatural. I firmly believe people who make these stories up, believe in them are truly insane. I'm also an atheist for the most part and have been for most of my life. After the events I'm about to tell you about, I really changed my belief in God. 
I'm now 100% sure God exists or at least some form of higher power that's out there controlling everything behind the scenes. Let me tell you my story. One day, I was working the shift in the office. I was called out to check upon a house. Some people passing by claimed they saw something inside. They were concerned about a few squatters causing trouble. Everybody knows the house I was supposed to check on had been abandoned for at least over 10 years. It's in a small area on top of a smaller hill. It's only about a 20 minute drive from the last house in the street. Sounds creepy, but it's not one of those. It just never got finished, and it's often been a problem area for squatters. There have been numerous drug deals there too that we've had to deal with. It's got very modern style architecture, and it's quite ahead of its time, honestly. It's got a long road leading up to it and a very large unkempt front yard. I will never understand why they built the house exactly in that place and why they left it to just fall apart. I think it was something like the owner had committed S or something. I don't remember the one more thing that I always wonder is why the house was never vandalized. Yeah, we've had drug problems there and drug deals and even some minor gang activity, and of course squatters, but never teenagers breaking in and spray painting stuff. I don't know, but after being there several times in the past, that whole property has a very weird vibe to it, like an unwelcoming vibe. So when I got called out there, I knew that I wouldn't see anybody there. The kids were probably just drunk or under the influence of a horror movie they had just seen, imagining seeing somebody in the house, or they really were seeing squatters. It was my job to go check it out and report if anything was truly out of order. While I was approaching the front yard of the house, I had that strange feeling again. Something was going to happen, that gut feeling telling me I should turn around and lie about even going to the house. I brushed it off though, nothing was going to happen obviously. Coming closer and closer to the house, I realized just how quiet it was. Eerily quiet and how nice the house was still on the outside. I got out of my vehicle and began to scout around, seeing if there are any signs of squatters or people breaking in. I saw nothing, everything looked fine to me. I began to turn around and start to head back, but noticed the front door was wide open. It was something I had not noticed right away when I pulled up because I was so busy looking around the sides of the house. I walked up the long driveway up to the steps. The house had a very smelly, musty odor. The hallway was empty, and all I could hear was my own breathing. I went into the room on the first left, it was the kitchen, also empty. It took a few minutes to check the entire house, and there was nobody inside. And just as I had suspected, I began to make my way downstairs to try and lock the door. It was opened by the wind or something. Going down the stairs, I saw a woman standing in the middle of the hallway, staring at me. She was dressed in all black and looked very sick. I asked her what was wrong and how she got there. I didn't hear anybody else come up or pull up in front of the house, and as I mentioned, I checked it entirely just a few minutes earlier. The woman did not answer my question or any other question that I had, like who she was, what she was doing in the house, and if she realized what she was doing was actually trespassing. She did not answer any of those questions. I began to walk towards her. I told her to put her hands up above her head. I was going to take her to the station to question her, but as I said, she began running at me, her face twisted, and I jumped when I saw it. There was this disturbing madness resting in her eyes, like she was going to attack me. I didn't know what she would do if she did, so I fired a shot in her chest, and she stopped looking at me in that exact moment, and the madness just disappeared. She just looked sad and abandoned. She fell to the ground. I could not let her die. I called an ambulance and ran to her. The only word she said to me that night was why? I didn't know what to tell her. She closed her eyes, and I felt her pulse fade away. She was dead. I couldn't handle the fact that I had to kill her. At least until the ambulance got there, I sat by her body and tried to process it all. After two of the most agonizing moments in my life, she began breathing again. I don't know what I had to do to get my conscious clear. A few days later, they called me from the hospital. She had wanted to talk to me. 
She told me something that made me believe she was on the other side, dead, and she was okay. Just about to go into the light when a man had stopped her and told her she shouldn't do that. She should go back, so she did. That's why she's alive, except she doesn't exist. There is no record of this person being alive or being born, nor does she remember who she is, where she came from, or what she was doing inside that house that day. And yet, oddly and disturbingly, she knows very personal details about my life and said that me being called there that night was by fate and destiny. She knows things about my family, my childhood, the things only me and my family could ever know about. And yet, after being subjected to a polygraph test, she truthfully and honestly has no recollection of her own identity or her past but somehow claims that she knows everything about me, who I am, and how we were meant to be reunited. I feel like life has truly thrown me a wild card, and I really would help if I can get some closure from your opinions. I had always loved camping in Yellowstone National Park, and this trip was no exception. I had set up my tent at the junction of Lewis and Clark Road and the main park road, hoping to get some peace and quiet in the middle of nature. But as I was getting ready to go to sleep on the night of February 11th, I heard something strange. There was a loud rapping on the trees around me, as if something was trying to get my attention. I grabbed my flashlight and looked around but I couldn't see anything. The woods were dark and still, and the rapping had stopped. I shrugged it off and went to sleep, hoping it was just my imagination. But then, I had a peculiar dream. I heard strange sounds in my sleep, and I saw my tent being unzipped. And then, a big black wide face with no hair appeared in front of me. I woke up in a cold sweat, feeling like something had been watching me. I looked around the tent, but there were no signs of anything out of the ordinary. The tent was still zipped up, and there were no tracks around me. I couldn't shake off the feeling that something had been there with me. It was like my tent was alive, and it had been heebie-jeebies that I had never experienced before. As I packed up my things and left the campsite, I couldn't help but wonder what had happened. Had I just been overly suggestive, and the tree wraps had played a mind trick on me? Or had something truly strange and unexplainable occurred that night? I may never know the answer, but one thing was for sure, I would never forget the eerie feeling that had taken over me in the woods that night. And I would always be cautious when camping alone in the wilderness. A friend and I were fishing in an evening-friendly bass tournament on 7. 2. 1992 from 3 p.m. 9 p.m. at Smith and Sales Reservoir in Smithfield, Rhode Island. The fishing picked up as the tournament ended. So I convinced my friend to go back out for a night bite. Somewhere around 11 p.m., we were fishing at the end of a peninsula facing the shore with a dark empty house on the land. It was very quiet but I thought a helicopter was coming down in the cove behind the house where we couldn't see. But no noise. I gestured to my friend but when the lights dimmed we excused it as vehicle lights must have come down the road and backed away, but we had never seen a vehicle. We continued fishing towards the shore in plain view of the house when I noticed what looked like children playing with flashlights moving frantically in one of the rooms of the house through the windows. My fishing partner and I decided people must have come home to the house, even though we had never seen a car or people and the power must be turned off in the house. We continued fishing although we had never seen or heard anyone, there was an abnormally, seven-foot, tall human-shaped figure with a smaller child-size human-shaped figure with the larger one looking like it was holding a flashlight looking for frogs and such at the water's edge. The odd thing was the way they were illuminating, almost like a glow in the dark, but we dismissed that as the flashlight reflected off the water back at them strangely. Just then we noticed about 15 to 20 glowing shaped figures all on the shore facing us all different sizes and we got freaked out because there was never any noise this whole time and we were close enough to have heard people walking in the brush near shore. Just as we were getting scared and contemplating leaving, the flashlight the first big human-like figure was holding shine directly toward our boat. 
My partner said to start the motor and let's get out of here. As I was starting to set the choke and pull the cord of the small 5 horsepower outboard motor, the flashlight levitated across about 30 to 40 yards of water as I was keeping half an eye on it and starting the motor. When it turned over and I put it in gear, I looked up and the light was about 8 feet above our small boat. I never looked back and it was a short 3 minute ride back to the boat ramp. We hurried, throwing the boat in the van, and got inside the van in shock. All the dogs on the lake were barking loudly, we never heard a dog before this. My friend made me promise not to tell anyone and I haven't. Until now. I grew up in southern Utah near the Glen Canyon area. I encountered something strange down there. I lived out in the middle of nowhere and we had a bunch of dogs. There were a lot of hitchhikers since we lived on a main road that goes through there. My dad was a local police officer and worked long days and stuff. One night the dog starts barking and he just stuck his gun out the door and he said, Hey, go figure out what that is. So I went. We had one dog on each corner of the property. We had an actual pump house to pump water, so we lived that far out of town. I checked the dogs and they were very upset. I got to the one dog and she is cowering down on the ground shaking. I thought she was hurt but she wasn't, just really scared. When I checked on her, I got the distinct feeling that I didn't check behind me very well. So when I started to turn around something stood straight up and ran away from me. I didn't hear anything other than crunching sounds in the dry brush as it was running. We lived on the side of a really steep hill, running right down the side of that incline. On the bottom of that hill were trees and a river. I could hear twigs breaking. By the time I realized what had gone on, I got to the side of the hill to see where it was going. It made it all the way down, it was a very steep hill. I could hear the tree branches breaking off and I was petrified. I was shaking so bad that if I had wanted to shoot it I wouldn't have been able to. I was terrified. My dad called the county sheriff who had a professional tracker slash hunter by the name of Billy, and they brought him in. I thought it was a bear because of how big it was. But it ran on two legs. Billy looked at the footprint impressions. He said, if this was a bear, it was bigger than anything he'd ever tracked and he's been doing it for 30 years. After talking to Billy a bit more, he said that he thought that it was a Bigfoot. He said that he had tracked a few over the years, but this one was much larger. Yeah, it was terrifying and there were sightings in the area a couple of weeks after that. There were a few instances of property damage and at least two sheep being killed. It could have ripped me apart. I never believed in the existence of Bigfoot until I heard the story of the lady from the music store. She had reported seeing the creature in Yosemite State Park, California. I was intrigued by her description of the creature, dark and running away in a piston-like motion with all its arms. However, I had my suspicions about the report, as the possibility of mind-altering drugs was suspected. My doubts were further confirmed when I mentioned a similar report by another lady who claimed to have seen Bigfoot at Multnomah Falls in Oregon while using LSD. It was difficult to tell if these were real sightings or just hallucinations caused by the drugs. Despite my skepticism, I couldn't shake off the feeling that there was something more to these reports. I decided to investigate further, and it wasn't long before I found myself deep in the woods near Multnomah Falls searching for any signs of Bigfoot. As I wandered through the dense forest, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. I was alone, and the trees seemed to tower over me, casting long shadows that played tricks on my mind. But I pushed on, determined to find any evidence of the elusive creature. As the sun began to set, I spotted something moving in the distance. I crept closer. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Heart racing, and saw a dark figure darting between the trees. It was Bigfoot. I froze, unsure of what to do. Should I approach it or keep my distance? My curiosity got the better of me, and I slowly walked towards the creature. But as I got closer, it vanished into thin air. I was left standing alone in the forest, my mind reeling from what I had just witnessed. As I made my way back to civilization, I couldn't stop thinking about the encounter. Was it real, or was it just my mind playing tricks on me? I may never know for sure, but one thing was certain, the legend of Bigfoot was far from over. I had always been fascinated by the wilderness of Oregon, and the Saddle Mountain area had always been on my list of places to visit. So, when I had the opportunity to go on a hiking trip there in early June, I jumped at the chance. The scenery was breathtaking, and the fresh air was invigorating. I was having the time of my life, enjoying every moment of my hike. But then, I heard something that made me freeze in my tracks, three loud yells. At first, I tried to brush it off, telling myself that it was just some other hikers having fun. But something about the yells didn't seem quite right. They sounded too distant, too animalistic. I started to feel uneasy, but I tried to keep moving forward. I was in a beautiful place, after all, and I didn't want to let my imagination get the best of me. But then I heard the yells again, and they sounded closer this time. My heart started to race and I could feel my palms getting sweaty. I started to wonder if I was in danger. I decided to turn back and head towards the trailhead. As I made my way down the mountain, I kept hearing the yells, growing louder and more frequent. It was like something was following me. When I finally made it back to the trailhead, I was exhausted and scared. I didn't know what to make of what I had heard. But one thing was for sure, I wouldn't be going back to the Saddle Mountain area anytime soon. To this day, I don't know what made those yells. But I know that they were real, and they were terrifying. And I will always remember that hike as one of the most unsettling experiences of my life. I dated a girl in high school, from 10th grade through most of my freshman year of college, then we broke up. While I was dating her, I'd drive to her house almost daily, during the couple years where I could drive and she hadn't yet gone away to college, and there was this one odd back road by my high school I'd always take to her house or to my high school. I'd never have any occasion to use that road if I wasn't going to either of those places. So on that road, there was a house and outside it was always parked a Mazda midsize, the same model, within a year or two, and color as my girlfriend drove. It looked just like her car just without any bumper stickers. It became just like a visual cue for me while I was memorizing my drive home, you know like okay I make a left at the light then I see the car that looks just like girlfriends then I make a quick right. So her and I broke up like two years ago now. I have a new girlfriend, going on like nine months and it's been great, and I haven't used that road since my ex and I split up. Recently, I decided to transfer away from my college, my ex also happened to transfer here right after I decided to leave when I get the F out she's totally gonna think it's because of her. I had to go to my high school and get a copy of my transcript to mail to the school I'm applying to. On my way home from my high school, I had to use that weird back road I hadn't used in a couple years. As I'm driving down it, I see, right in front of the house that always had a car that looked just like my ex's parked out front, a late 90s maroon Nissan Altima, beat to shit. That is exactly what my current girlfriend drives. Weird shit, man. I know this event happened a long time ago but it has always bothered me. I am sure somebody has wondered what happened to this gentleman. I want to tell the little tiny part of this story in an effort to help solve a possible missing person situation. In case this man had never shown up anywhere again. 
Just maybe somebody will recognize the very general information I do know about and that it might help solve a serious event. I am very unclear about the date and am even not sure of the year. Late or mid-1990s. I am sorry I did not report this somewhere previously. It was unclear where I should go or who to report such a situation to. It was around 3 p.m. on a Friday I believe. I was down at the town's motor vehicle department waiting to have an inspection done on a vehicle and then get the tags and title to the auto. I happened to park beside a gentleman of about 45 years old. He was tall, white, pale, had no facial hair, and may have had a receding hairline and light hair. We were both waiting for a long time because it was so busy that day. The man slowly started to approach me and he appeared very nervous and was sweating for more than the weather made a reason for. He made it a point to explain a little about his behavior. He told me that he knew it sounded far-fetched but that he has been running from town to town trying to stay hidden from the government's secret military. I have never in my life been in a conversation with anyone about any similar subject. It made it even more uncomfortable for him to say what he was attempting to say. He said that he felt he finally had lost them and that he was there to get the vehicle tag to fit in the state of Arizona and his new fictitious name. He was planning to try to stay here for a while now and make Casa Grande his home for a few months but he just had to put this new used car in order. Saying that he had been with many vehicles trying to conceal his path if they were following and getting close. He was very nervous telling me this and I was rather shocked and mostly just listened. I asked him why he was telling me though. He said he was on a mission to break out the truth to the world about UFOs and the fact that they were real and he could prove it. He said that his mission was to tell as many as possible and to prove it to all he could using showing people the evidence he had stolen from Area 51. He asked if I knew of this place and at that time I had not. So he explained that this is where the government and military try to hide the truth about aliens and the fact is they are real and that he wanted me to see his evidence. He stated he stole at least reels of videotape feed all showing information and documentation of actual aliens. He asked if I would like to see them. I was quite stunned at what this well-kept middle-aged man was saying. I told him I would like to see but I am afraid to be alone with him under the potential threat of getting caught by some secret society on his heels and asked if I could bring somebody with me. He had no problem with that and said it would be even better because he would be getting the word out to the two of us. So very strange. I raced to a phone to call my boyfriend and tell him all this stuff and he insisted on coming with me which was a great relief to me. Though his boss did not like him just leaving work with very little being said. The man instructed me that he was at this one motel I knew of and that he was in the first room on the south end and I knew perfectly where this was. We pull into the motel and the man's car was not pulled up all the way into the parking spot and the rear passenger door was still open. His motel room door had been kicked in and it was down. I could see the manager of the motel going in the opposite direction from us and he would not respond to my calling to him. We were out looking around stunned at all that had taken place when we see in the middle of the parking area sat a white new van. The doors were slamming shut and the driver was in a hurry to leave. The noise coming from the van, like kicking the panels inside, could be heard. The van kicked up rock speeding away from us. My boyfriend told me to get into our truck and we quickly left. We hardly spoke a word about it. But like I said at the beginning this has always bothered me. What happened to him? Is anyone looking for him? Did he survive this ordeal? I worked in a university library for about a year. It was built in the 70s. Aside from some cosmetic changes here and there, it hadn't really changed that much. There was the ground floor, two floors above it that had lots of windows, and two floors beneath that just had solid walls. We joked about it being haunted but I never took it too seriously. At the end of every night, we would pair off and go make sure there was no one studying or hiding on any of the floors before the library closed. The basement was the creepiest floor, by far. I stepped off the elevator during an evening search and saw a table full of kids studying in silence. 
They were dressed normally and I can still picture in my mind the back of a man's head, full of brown hair. I turned to my co-worker and asked her if she would come with me to tell the study group to leave. She asked who I was talking about and when I turned around, there was a big empty table in front of me. Of course, I was probably tired from a combination of studying and late work hours. Fair enough. A couple months later I was on the second floor. It was a very sunny day. Not creepy in the slightest. I was putting books back up in the stacks when I saw the bouncing back of someone's head, walking a couple stacks down. The little voice of intuition that seems to grab control from time to time told me to follow the person. I saw the back of their head leave the walkway between the stacks and enter the main aisle. I took a couple steps down to where I could see everything and there was no one there. I walked up and down all the stacks, checked the study rooms, which were all dark and locked, and finally took a short break, feeling crazy. It was a small enough area that I was able to check it all very quickly. Whoever or whatever I saw had vanished into thin air. So I don't know. I'm not really a believer in the paranormal. I think every bizarre thing that happens has a rational explanation. Problem is, I also don't think we're privy to those explanations. I've had bizarre things happen to me all my life, and so have my parents, who are also skeptical. I don't know. It's a big weird world. I know that. I can still remember the sunlight filtering through the curtains as I stirred from my nap. At four years old, the world was a fascinating place, filled with mysteries and wonders. That day, I was about to discover one of the many secrets that life had to offer. As I rubbed my sleepy eyes, I heard someone calling the name Dolly in the house. The voice was unfamiliar, yet soothing, and I felt compelled to find out who it was. I stumbled out of my room, bleary-eyed, and found my mom in the kitchen, the only other person at home. Mom, why are you calling out the name Dolly? I asked, my curiosity piqued. She looked at me with a mix of surprise and understanding before she shared a story that would stay with me for years to come. My mom explained that the couple who had lived in our house before us were older, and the man had passed away. His wife's name was Dolly. She told me that she had experienced similar occurrences since we moved into the house, but assured me that there was nothing to worry about. Years passed, and the memory of that day remained tucked away in the back of my mind. It wasn't until one fateful day, when my friend and I were wandering around the town's graveyard, that the story resurfaced. In our small town, there wasn't much to do, and the graveyard was a quiet place where we could escape the boredom of everyday life. As we walked among the tombstones, I happened to find the graves of the couple my mom had told me about so long ago. Dolly had passed away more recently, in 1998, and was buried next to her husband, who had passed in the early 90s. Seeing their names etched into the cold stone sent a shiver down my spine. The story my mom had shared with me years ago was now undeniably real. That day, as I stood before the graves of Dolly and her husband, I felt an inexplicable connection to them. They were strangers, yet somehow, I felt as if I had known them all my life. The whispers of their presence in our home were a gentle reminder that the world was so much more mysterious and wonderful than I could have ever imagined. As my friend and I left the graveyard, I felt a renewed sense of wonder and curiosity about the world around me. I knew that there would always be mysteries to uncover, and that the spirits of the past could still touch our lives in the most unexpected ways. My brother and I were standing outside my home, at around 8 p.m. in Texas, already dark, winter, when I noticed something off in the distance above my brother's shoulder. It looked like it was flying over downtown Dallas, but it was hard to be sure how far it really was because it was just a bunch of dull white dots arranged in a triangle. I must have had a confused look on my gave as I tried to figure out what it was, because my brother said what, and turned around. He saw it too, and we both just stood there as it flew closer, and then the scale of it became impossibly huge for it to be an aircraft. I said to my brother, is it birds? 
but no response as it flew over us. The dull white dots never gained any more detail as it went right over us, it then sped up. It had taken a good 30 seconds to get to us, but only took about 5 to zip away so far that it disappeared. Also, when it flew over us, all ambient sound disappeared, no bugs, dogs barking, highway noise. All gone. It sounded like I was in a sound booth when I asked my brother is it birds. We went inside and told family what we saw, they just said that's weird, basically. My brother said he didn't hear me ask about any birds. Weird. I had always been drawn to the mountains, and the view from the top of Saddles Mountain was one of the most beautiful sights I had ever seen. So, when I had the chance to climb it again, I couldn't resist. I knew I was cutting it close as I made my way back down the mountain. It was almost dark, and I still had a long way to go to get back to the campground. But I didn't want to rush the climb, I wanted to savor every moment of the beautiful sunset. As I was driving down the road, I hit a bump, and the car went off the road. I was shaken up, but, thankfully not hurt. However, I knew I couldn't stay there. I was still a ways away from the campground, and it was too dangerous to try to drive in the dark. So, I started walking. At first, it wasn't too bad. I had a flashlight, and I was making good time. But then I heard it, a distant, eerie scream. It sent shivers down my spine. I tried to shake it off, telling myself it was just an animal. But then the screams got closer, and I knew something was following me. I couldn't see anything in the dark, but I could feel it getting closer and closer. I started to run, my heart pounding in my chest. The screams were getting louder, and I knew I had to get out of there. I hiked to the highway, looking for help, and swore never to be in that area again after dark. To this day, I don't know what made those screams. But I know they weren't just my imagination. There are some things in this world that we may never understand and that's okay. But I will never forget the terror I felt that night, and I will never go back to Saddles Mountain after dark. My family and I stayed in an old house from a distant aunt when we visited Garamaranga, Brazil. The main room in the house was filled with religious figurines, and I mean filled, there were about 50 different statues in there, most of them represented Catholic faith, but I couldn't recognize the few others. There were also pictures in the walls of people that looked like they were dead. When I told her about it, my therapist said it was tradition in some rural places to take a photo of a deceased loved one before they were buried, so I guess that explained that. We found our rooms, and we noticed that one door didn't open at first. A few days later, though, we were very curious so we pushed hard against it and when the door slammed open we found a room that had five mirrors positioned in the center and a wardrobe. When we opened it, we found it was completely filled with a metric F ton of hair of different colors. Needless to say, we closed that door and never opened it again. The last weird thing about that house was when I was sleeping in the same room as my parents, I was about 10. And I woke up in the middle of the night to what looked like a person holding a weak flashlight pointed at us in the corner of our room. I got really scared and eventually started crying. My parents woke up from my whimpering and they turned on the lights to see if I was okay. When I looked again there was no one in our room. My mom and dad bought a house that was built in the early 1900s. The house was huge, two stories with an attic and basement. We were checking out the attic, I was near the chimney that ran up an outside wall from the first floor fireplace. I saw something, couldn't reach it, ran down and grabbed a poker from the fireplace, the kind with the little hook on it. The family is watching me try to retrieve what I saw. I had the tip of the poker about 12 inches below the floorboard struggling to hook the object when it was literally ripped out of my hands. I was 24 at the time and just out of the navy, it took something powerful to rip it out of my grasp. Everyone saw my body jerk toward the floor. My mom yelled something incoherent then total silence. 
We all just stared at the base of the chimney for probably 10 seconds trying to realize what the F just happened. Then as one got the hell out of the attic. The poker was never retrieved. We learned from a neighbor that in the 1940s the lady of the house hung herself in the basement. Maybe it was her, maybe not, who cares I don't go up to the attic. Flashback to 2007, I was roughly 20 years old. The drive was through a semi-rural area, a single lane, smooth road called Kennett Pike, Delaware Route 52, which connects Pennsylvania to Delaware. Kennett Pike also connects to Devil's Road, where M. Knight filmed, The Village. It was typically an eerie commute, but due to me using it often, it never truly scared me. Girlfriend at the time was riding with me in the passenger seat of my old Jeep Grand Cherokee, and we were traveling back to Delaware after dropping off my best pal in Pennsylvania, who joined us to see a movie. It was 2 a.m. at the time, we had recently crossed the state line. Despite being young and stupid, I reduced my speed slightly due to the dense fog which we had quickly entered. Before I knew it, my heart was racing. I found myself swerving as to not hit a person? In the middle of the road. It was an apparition-like woman with long, thick, gray hair, covered in worn, white robes with a dim glow to her entire appearance. She was kneeling down, almost completely still at first, but her torso appeared to be slightly moving and she was slowly rising. I didn't quite get a good look at her face, but perhaps that's what makes the fear linger on. I recall saying, holy shit. Did you see that? To which my girlfriend agreed, nodding with an open mouth and wide eyes. Additionally, this girl I was dating at the time claimed to have a ghost living in a room of her family's home, a room which they would seldom enter. I've had a few paranormal encounters. I'll list the two worst ones here. Both occurred in 2014. I have used Ouija before several months before this occurred, both of these stories happened when I was in an extremely negative state of mind. I don't really know where to start from but I'll try to explain what I think brought this on. Basically one night I was having one of the worst nights of my life. Self-inflicted, I kept thinking about all the negative things going on in my life. My girlfriend was sleeping with my friend at the time despite him swearing he'd never do such a thing blah blah I broke it off. I had no friends, all the friends I had were fake so I pushed everyone away. I felt like my life was falling apart. I sat outside for hours smoking cigarettes, being a depressive mess. I finally got myself to bed dreading the fact I'd have to wake up and go on another day. Anyway I wake up about 3-4 am. I'm an insomniac so waking up late at nights around this hour is very common for me, I know witching hour. And I really needed to pee, I got up and took a wheeze. I usually shut the door as I don't want to make noise to wake my sister or anything but I just was in the mindset of I don't give a f about anything anymore. Anyway I turn around after flushing to see this 7 feet tall huge black hooded red eyed being. It had no body or hands. It was just pure black, even more so inside of the robe, where the body should be. The best way to describe the red eyes, would be red like your generic glowy red I meme. Best way to describe it sorry. It turns around the corner of the hall towards me in an insanely fast manner, as if it was sprinting, but it was very swift as it seemed like it was levitating or something. It had no feet or anything, and no bobbing movement like a person would be while running. As I'm about to walk out of the bathroom it lunged at me with both hands of the robe stretched out towards me. And I had never felt fear so deep as I did in that moment. A huge shiver ran down my spine, as I say oh shit with words barely able to leave my mouth as I stutter and fall to the ground. With one knee and I look up to see nothing, absolutely nothing. I sprinted back to bed lights on door shut and didn't sleep at all. Scary encounter too. This happens a couple of months later, I wake up around 3 am again. Hardly able to see as no lights are on, and I see an outline of a little girl next to my bed standing there with both of her hands to her side. 
I take a second to realize it's a person or ghost or something and it has a white bed dress with long black hair over her face. She's still standing there. I freak out and start panicking. I throw a couple of hammer punches and swings with my hand as I refuse to look at whatever it is. Frantically trying to turn on my light or grab my phone with my left hand swatting the table. I finally grab onto my phone and see she is still there as I shine my phone light on it. It vanishes as if nothing was ever there. I ended up falling back to sleep after the sunrise came up, never saw it again. Sorry if I didn't write this well, I tried to describe everything in as much detail as possible. I have a couple more stories but I think these two taught me a lesson, and really pulled me out of my slump as I was terrified I'd see that again. Feel free to question me or give advice below. When I was between 5 and 9 I lived in a pretty big house built in the 50s the smallest bedroom, I am the youngest of 4, at the end of a hallway. My room had a tiny balcony. Many nights I would wake up with the this of an object falling from a shelf to the floor. When I opened my eyes, I soon learned not to, just stay under my blanket and pray it away, I would see a dark shadow back up slowly onto the balcony stay there for a few seconds then kind of swoop away over it. This presence ranks low on the creepy scale. When I was about 14 I was at a friend's house and her cousins were visiting. They decided to break out the Ouija board, I was terrified so I went to the next room to watch cartoons with her little brother. After a while I hear a screech and soon enough they all come stumbling in on us. An older cousin cracks up and confesses that she blew out the candle to give everyone the creeps, and then they tell me that a presence had made itself known but that it didn't want to answer questions, it kept on asking where's Akasha? No one from there knew this but that was my secret username for chat rooms and a secret diary, back in 1998 I was into vampires. I almost puked, but since I didn't see or feel anything this one also, thanks low on the creepy scale. At university, 2003, I had a very cute room in a shared apartment. It had a mezzanine where my bed and closet was. From day one I did everything I could to make it feel cozy but I had a feeling in the pit of my stomach very often. At night it wasn't uncommon for me to hear pages flipping through my study book slowly, at the rate a person would actually read it, at first I just freaked out in my bed without daring to look down, praying it away or listening to music on my headphones. Then one day I followed advice and just said very loudly and firmly go away and it stopped. I fell asleep, reassured that I found a solution to the studious spirit situation. A few weeks later, one night I was violently woken up with a feeling of someone sort of yanking, pulling at my lower limbs, surrounded in what I can only describe as a translucent purpley haze that made a like a crackling swooshing static sound. I couldn't shake it off and I was having a hard time yelling as if it was a nightmare but my eyes were wide open and I was struggling to free myself from an external pressure that felt like I was toothpaste being squeezed out from a tube. I finished managed to say stop, please, stop and it all of the sudden did. This felt like it lasted forever but it was barely a few seconds. That was by far the scariest one. Last one, I was in Chicago, staying in a very old beautiful house, not creepy at all. On my second night there I woke up feeling a pressure pushing down on my back and shoulders, like two warm gloved hands. It didn't startle me awake and it didn't feel malignant. But it did scare the bejesus out of me when I woke up and realized I was alone in there and that no one could have done that. Not sure these are scary to readers but they did have a huge impact on my belief system, nightmares and how I enter an unknown house. My grandfather was a medium when he was very young, late teens, early twenties, for a few years until a priest told him it was better not to connect both realms. Grandma was into the further stages of Alzheimer, she had been dealing with it for over a decade I believe and essentially she was just a husk. What I mean here is that she didn't know anyone anymore, couldn't speak and she would only eat when fed and sleep when put in bed. No real acknowledgments or talks could be had. 
Well this is the latest stage and she had been like that for well over a year if not two and she could have passed away at any time in that stage. I went on holiday to Spain with friends, I think on the second to last night before going home I had a dream about her. Note, I never dream vividly or about persons in my life that make any sense so this dream was already odd. I was in her old house where family took care of her in the early stages of Alzheimer's, later she moved to a nursing home. She was crying and wincing about not being able to find the exit and generally wandering and walking through every room in the house. I wanted to speak to her but no response so I just gave in and opened the back door which we regularly used. She stopped crying walked out and kinda faded into nothingness. I woke up, weirded out by the dream and the fact I remembered it. Fast forward through the day we spend a nice day I don't join one of the activities along with a friend and we take a walk and sit down for a drink. Cue a call from my parents and then I already knew. She had died that night in her sleep. Chills were kinda rolling down my spine as we were so far apart and no communication about the situation was transferred. It was a very odd feeling and statistically speaking something like that can happen but what are the odds for a dream that's specific to happen at that time? In the end I kinda like it that I slash my brain released her either from memory or the misery that had become her life. I hope she is faring well wherever she is along with grandpa.